Now, the scripture that we looked at is discovered in this 12th chapter of, of Mark. And if you look at it carefully, you'll discover that God is wanting to bless. One of the great things about the scripture is that God is forever seeking to bless his people, seeking to bring them more blessings than they can easily contain or easily deal with. But we have a, a negative approach to most of our Christianity so that we often don't feel that God is seeking to bless us. We often have this subjective approach where somehow we have to be under tremendous pressure in order for us to understand what God is doing. Actually, there is great freedom and there is colossal liberty. The Apostle Paul says, I can do all things through Christ who is who's strengthening me. However, not all things are permissible. I can't easily get involved in everything, but actually I am so liberated, all things, all things are possible. All things are committed to me as a Christian. I have tremendous liberty. Now because of the reaction and response of people around me, says the, argues the apostle, all things are not expedient or permissible. Now the Lord Jesus, if you'll look with me for a moment or two in this 12th chapter, you will discover in verse 1, a certain man planted a vineyard. Let that be the key to the rest of our discussion. Let this be the key to all the rest that we shall dis discover this day. Because first of all, God created. Let's see the fact that God created. Now it's all very well for the preacher to stand and say God created the earth and he was the beginning and he is the end, the alpha, the omega, the author, the finisher. It's all very well to say that, but that's a little remote. So let's bring it into a concept that you and I can truthfully understand. You young people, your parents were in love. They came together and you were born. God created you as the heritage that God blessed your parents with. There isn't a single soul on this earth that hasn't been born by the power of the Spirit of God. If I understand the Scripture right in Psalm 104, I understand that God has breathed His Spirit that mankind could become a living person. So we were created... And we were created as a sort of vineyard, and we were created so that God could bless us. He could show to the rest of the community, the rest of the school, the rest of the family, that God is on His throne and blessing through me, the individual. And I am a blessed person because God is with me. God had a plan. First He planted, you were born. Then he planned. Your life started to open up in front of you. And then he brought a tremendous patience upon us. He waited until we had grown somewhat before he started to challenge us with our response to the gospel, with our response to the things that we had heard, the things that we had seen. He waited with great patience, reminding us always that Jesus died at Calvary so that when we would come to this place where we would recognize the claims of Christ, we could repent, we could believe, we could know the gospel, we could be, in a nutshell, saved. 
Now, God's patience is colossal. He's not willing that anyone should be cast out into the area of perishing, but that all should come to repentance. He is concerned that we come to Him. <coughs> so He expresses His love towards us in that while we were yet people who didn't recognize God, while we were yet children who didn't quite understand or comprehend how we could receive the Lord Jesus Christ into our lives, how we could accept the salvation of God, how we could embrace and acknowledge the gift of God. He was patient with us whilst we grew up so that our minds and our hearts could grow large enough to receive the challenge and the beauty of the gospel. God created us, a sort of vineyard, but he comes to collect. Now, there is a responsibility. This vineyard in the story here was loaned out to tenants or rented to tenants. And these tenants had a responsibility. Now, the crisis after the creation comes when you and I realize we have a responsibility. It starts when you're young. Children, you know how it is that parents say, do this and do that. And if you don't, look out. Sometimes, Parents are difficult to live with. They're not the easiest people, are they? They don't understand quite. However, that brings a crisis. And when parents start to say, now, you will do this because I told you to, they're teaching us how to respond to God. For God says, there are things that you will do. And there are things that you must do. And there are things that you can do. And there are things you ought not to do and you must not do. God has his own way of bringing us up. The crisis comes when we realize we have a responsibility. Now, to be jocular for a moment, I taught my children that they were my retirement. So they better save their money and earn lots of money so that they could let me retire. They are to look after me in my retirement. That's their responsibility. Now, I taught them when they were young, and I'm surprised they actually believe it now. And soon I shall retire. That's not quite true, but it's sort of a nice thought. The children feel a responsibility. Now, there is a time when you are responsible for your parents. You may think, oh, them? They're old. My mother's at least 42 years old. That's ancient. And you look around, and there are a few 42-year-old parents, and for you who are young, they look ancient. And then there are others, grandparents. They are so old. But my dear young people, there's a day when you'll have responsibility for these older people. You will have the responsibility. You can't just wish them dead so that you can buy a new car with the inheritance. That's not responsibility. That's wishful thinking. You can't, you can't do that. You are responsible for your parents. You are responsible for your grandparents because they were responsible for you. And all of our lives are tied up in areas of responsibility. We really are responsible. And the crisis comes when men and women who have been created by God realize that their responsibility is to God. 
And they must make that decision. They must come to the place where they see the servant of God coming and the servant of God saying, you are responsible. You are the tenant. You are in a borrowed body. Now be responsible and return to God what belongs to God. You've been paying Caesar what he demands. You've been paying the world what it demands. You've been paying out with your body in all the demands that are made on it in athletics, at school, and all the various other activities you get involved in. You've been paying the responsibilities to those things now to God. You have a responsibility, and to God you must pay that responsibility. Now comes the crises. You see, these men who were the tenants, they said, we're not going to pay. And so they took the servant and they beat him up. And they took another servant and they bashed him up. And they took another servant and they were so abusive, he left. And they took another servant and they killed him. Now, literally, Jesus is talking about to the Jews. He is literally saying, that's what you've done with the preachers and the prophets. God sent those men to preach. He sent those men to teach. He sent those men to challenge you and to remind you of your responsibility to God. And you've killed them. You've ignored them. You've destroyed them. Now listen. I'll try one more time. And then the old version of the authorized version of our scriptures, it says that God said they will listen to the word reverence. The word is respect in the NIV and in some of the other versions, but the word reverence seems to have a ring to it that brings us into a sense of awe. He says they will reverence my son. Instead, the crisis became tremendous. They suddenly said, oh, here's the son. Now, if we kill him, he can't inherit. And we will inherit all this property. We'll go to probate and we'll have it. Because the old gentleman, he's not going to keep it. We will inherit. And that was a big mistake that they made. The son came. And we see that they have gone from a creation into a crisis and they visit and they enter in now to a great cleavage. They did something that was des desperately wicked. They took the son of the owner of this creation and they killed him. They killed him. They didn't even bury him in his own vineyard. They cast him out. Jesus is that son and Jesus is speaking about himself. And he is saying that the son came to claim, to make a claim on your life. He is saying that Jesus, the son, came to claim for the creator of the vineyard what was rightfully his. He came to claim it. Instead, they said, let's kill him. Let's destroy him. And then we own everything. You see, Satan is very subtle. Old Satan will visit us in various ways. He'll send his little imps around so that we get distorted minds. We have a distorted frame of reference. If we're not very careful, we find ourselves getting caught in wrong thinking. Wrong thinking is in exhibition in this way. 
We think that we have a good idea of religiosity. We think that we really don't have to listen to the preachers. We don't have to listen to the Sunday school teachers, the youth leaders, the people that teach us the hymns we sing, the scriptures we read. We've got our own way of salvation all worked out. The command and the demand was made upon these tenants, and the command was, bring the fruit. Bring what is mine, my portion. And God says to us, bring me my portion. <coughs> Let my portion come to me. What is God's portion? Well, he says this. If you will come, and if you will bend your heart and bend your will, if you will come to me with your broken heart, if you will come to me with your sinful heart, if you'll come <coughs> just as you are, without any discussion, just as you are, if you will come to me, says the Lord Jesus, I will give you peace, I will give you rest, I will give you life, I will give you a whole new ability to live. In fact, says Jesus, I will correct your life where it's wrong, I will excite your life where it's right. I will rebuild your life in such a way that you will have what is called a new life. All the old things will pass away. They'll all be just so much garbage. And the chief garbologist of all time, Satan, he can collect the garbage. But Jesus said, I'll refine you as gold is refined. I will refine you as silver is refined. I will make you precious gems. I'll make you precious metal. I will make you jewels in my crown. I will give you life. Now, to get this, to have this blessing of God, to receive this precious promise of God, my dear people, what we have to be doing is we have to come to Jesus Christ. We have to understand that he is so filled with love that he is able to infuse that love into our lives so that we do become different. Conversion is not changing a way of life. It isn't even changing the way you speak. Being born again, such a popular expression in our day, isn't just something that you mentally assent to. It is something that happens deep within you and you are changed. Changed, not by your will, but changed by the power of God. Not by the ascent of your mind, but by this, the enigmatic power of God. Changed. Not because you can, as you change your clothes, you can turn over a new leaf. But changed because God is working within your soul. God has come to collect... Now, some people in this congregation have not been generous. They have been like the tenants. They have chased off the spokesman for God. I would remind you that King Herod did a very foolish thing. He was inebriated. He was excited sexually. He was all in a great party. And very often we get ourselves in a great 
froth and bubble. And when we do, we do silly things, and we say silly things, and we are silly things. And at that moment, we disobey God. And to a young girl who had danced in the most sexual and sensual manner, he said, I'm so delighted, I'll give you to half of my kingdom. And she ran to her mother and said, what shall I ask? The head of John Baptist. Although Herod was sad, he kept his word, and he said, off with his head. And the head was presented to the young girl, who we think was 15 or 16 or thereabouts. And she took it to her mama, and she said, Mama, here it is, what you wanted. When Jesus was to be crucified, he was taken to Herod. Herod said, show me a miracle, speak to me. And Jesus was completely silent. The story and, the, and what we can gain from those two areas of Scripture is this, that God having spoken, when we cut off that voice, one way or another, God refuses to continue to speak. Paul takes this up. In the first three chapters of, of Romans, he says, you know, God saw your plight. He sent Jesus to deliver you from your plight. But you said, well, we don't want to be delivered. We enjoy sin. So God said, you want to sin? Sin. He gave you over to a reprobate mind. He gave you over to a mind that was twisted away from God, twisted in the things of Satan, twisted away from the things of the Holy Spirit. And people filled with an unholy spirit have twisted thoughts. The cleavage is in this area where they caught the servants and they beat the servants, and they sent the servants away. And when they refused to listen to the claims that the servants were speaking of, when they killed the son and refused to understand he was the heir of salvation. Now if you'll look at this, you'll see now the Christ. In verses 6, really verse 6 itself, in the reverences of the son, the son came to claim the son came to arouse the conscience. The son came to bring control to these people, and they killed him. Look then at the last part, for there's much that we can be said, but the time and the clock vanish rather quickly. But look at the cost. Those husbandmen, verse 7 says, said among themselves, this is the heir, come, let us kill him. What's the cost? The cost of our salvation was the death and the resurrection of our Lord Jesus. You can't talk of the death without speaking of the resurrection. The death is so subjected, subjective and the resurrection is so filled with objectivity. You cannot speak of the one without the other. These are the dual beauties of God, the final death knoll to Satan, the final death knoll to all hell. Sure, Jesus died, but immediately his spirit left his body. Satan knew he'd made the biggest mistake of his created time. For Jesus, says the Apostle Peter, descended into hell and preached salvation there. 
If Jesus could speak of the salvation of God and show and prove the salvation of God in hell, why is it that sitting in these pews, we are so stiff-necked, we are so seriously in opposition to God? Think about it. We need to think. And we need to consider. We need to understand. Having come from the creation, we now come to the creator. Who has the final word? Who does have that final word? Some years ago, I was a boy. And I was caught up with the, in my imagination of Vikings and Viking ships. And I had read some stories and some history uh, at school. And I knew that they used to take their dead and put them on these Viking boats and set the boats afire and send them out to sea. And I thought that was very glorious. I was also fascinated with building boats. And so I had built several boats and they weren't very good, but to me they were okay. I would sail the boats on the local pond, and uh, we have in England, we have large green areas of grass and man-made ponds. Some are called serpentines, and mostly they just call them ponds. They don't exaggerate and say they're lakes, ponds. I'd sail my boats there, loved it. One day I got all caught up in this wonderful idea some of my boats, by the way, would outsail the others on the pond, and we'd race, and I'd win many boat, many races, and uh, quite a lot of candy. And uh, I decided that I would have a Viking funeral, and so I got my best boat, and I built the all the fire pieces in it. And some of the fellows came and they said, "You're not going to burn that, sure." One said, I'll buy it off you. Don't burn it. It's too nice to burn. No, it's mine. I want to burn it. We had a long discussion. And eventually the man that sat in a little box thing to make sure all the boys and girls behaved themselves when they were playing at the pond, he came over and said, what are you doing? And one of the boys said, he's going to set fire to his boat. And the man said, you can't do that. But why not? It's my boat. He turned around. I set fire and sent it out into the water and it burned and it sunk. And we all stood around the pond looking at it. And the man said, you shouldn't do that, son. Why? It was too nice a boat. But it was my boat. God says, you're my creation. And the last word is mine. Jesus said, don't worry about the fellow that can kill your body. Worry about the person who when the body is dead can say to that soul of yours, be cast into hell fire. That's who you've got to worry about. The creator of the ends of the earth, the beginning, he is the one that's at the end. Understand that in the between that, you have a responsibility to respond to God. We have responsibility to come to our Lord Jesus. God has made it possible for us to receive so great salvation. If we reject it as these people did, as these tenants in the vineyard did, as in this 12th chapter of Mark's gospel, it is recorded for us as they turned away from God. Understand the last word was with the person who created the vineyard.
And he brought his army and he took those tenants and he destroyed those tenants because they had rejected his son. Let me ask you this question and I quit. Truthfully, truthfully, have you received the Son of God? Or have you by some devious means of argument in your mind and heart received the principle without the person? Or have you plainly rejected the Son of God? Where do you stand? Are you with those tenants saying, well, it doesn't really matter? What will be, will be. I have created for me. I have developed for me. I am my own champion. I am my own person. I am... Is that what you're saying? Or will you listen to the challenge of this scripture? God wanted to bless those people by taking what was rightfully his. Their blessing would have been enormous. But by refusing to give to him what was rightfully his, their shame was colossal. Their future was ruinous. God will bless you. God will pour his blessings upon you and his spirit within you. His life will be lived by you. But first, you must come. First, you must be responsible. And when you realize this crisis is coming in the horizon of your life, when you realize you've got to make this decision, trust Jesus. Bow with me, please, in prayer. Our gracious Father, we pray that anyone here who has reached this crisis time in their lives may come simply, honestly, openly, lovingly, without waiting to the place where they say, Lord, I love thee. Lord, I come to thee. Help us to come in all our frailty. Help us to come with all our con confusion. Help us to come just as we are, without a single plea but that thy blood was shed. Oh, Lord, our God, bless us as a congregation now, for Jesus' sake. Amen.